This is a program about going deeper. It's about creating a culture of learning. It's about putting apostolic feet to prophetic hope. It is our mission to purposefully equip the world to transform their region with God's love. We want to create an atmosphere of divine influence to the nations by walking in the power of His Holy Spirit with a faith that shapes the future. Welcome to Eagle Mountain Radio. Everybody, welcome to Fit. Welcome to Eagle Mountain Radio. My name is Chris Banky, and I'll be your host today. Man, this week has been so awesome. Like we've had some of the <laughs> most unbelievably amazing guests, and it just keeps getting better and better. So here we are. We got uh, Bobby uh, Hobby and Chris Keel, and a guest that I'm really looking forward to talking to, Jeremy Pryor. How? Well, first of all. I always say, how are you guys doing? And my wife tells me, hey, don't say the same thing every time. Like, it's boring. <laughs> so, skip that. I know you guys are doing amazing. Where are you coming from? Jeremy, I'm curious. Where are you coming from? I am uh, coming from Fort Thomas, Kentucky, which is about two miles south of Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. How long have you How long have you guys been there? About 20 years. I grew up in Seattle, but, um, but yeah, we've been living here for a while now. 20 years. So, so that must mean you like it there. Yeah. This is a fantastic place for family. Chris used to live here. Chris Keel. Yeah. And yeah. he left. So he, he, yeah, it's a great, it's a great place. There's so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That I, I love Cincinnati actually. It, it was an amazing place for, for, I don't know. I could totally see why someone would want to live there. Yeah. yeah. Good. That's awesome. Okay, so Jeremy Pryor, I'm just meeting you digitally right now today for the first time. But Chris, can you can you introduce us really better to Jeremy? <laughs> Who is Jeremy? Tell oh, us about man. him. Let's get going. Well, so I I met Jeremy actually in Israel probably what six or seven years ago. Oh, okay, I think at this point um, through a mutual friend, and um, you know one of the things that I've always heard Jeremy talk about since I met him was family, and he. Wow. I think he's gone through, I don't even know how many iterations he would call, but of kind of experimenting on family. Like, hey guys, let's all move like into a street together and buy homes and, and do this. And then let's try it this way. And, and just kind of always thinking about what the next wow. evolution for what family and community could, could be like. Um, and he's one of the guys that all the families that I really respect have, inf have been influenced by him somehow. So I have a lot of friends who I'm like, man, they do family really well. And all of them, um, have been influenced by Jeremy. And so outside of that, he's been a very successful entrepreneur, multiple businesses, a um, bunch of really cool things. You have five kids, Jeremy? Four? Yeah, five. Yep. Five, five. Okay. So um, that would be my intro. And he's doing something amazing now called Family Teams um, yeah. with another guy out in Hawaii, I think. Right, Jeremy? Is he in Hawaii? Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, that, would be, that would be my short intro. <laughs> wow. That is fantastic. So Jeremy, it sounds like you got a lot, a lot going on, five kids and family teams. So I would love to just, let's just start with you. Can you let us know what family teams is? Well, first of all, let me, let me start off by saying Jeremy is one of the amazing speakers that we're going to have at this event that is tomorrow. So if you're watching this live, this event is tomorrow. You need to register for it and you'll be able to hear more from Jeremy there, but I'd love to learn more about family teams. And um, so if you could just kind of set the stage for us, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So 
family teams is designed to answer a question nobody ever asks, which is what is the family? Um, we all think we're experts at family. We all grew up in family. And so it's just too foundational of a question for people to really consider as being relevant. But I've discovered that it's actually one of the most important questions you could ever ask. And uh, our, our culture tends to assume the answer to what is family, the definition of family, um, is, is, a, is a springboard for individual success, right? So you ask most people, like, what does it look like to have a really thriving, amazing family? Uh, they'll talk primarily like, okay, we got to launch our kids out. If they're all succeeding out there, um, we really, we really succeeded. And then that just resets every generation. So that, that's what we assume culturally is a good family. Um, and so family teams is really an organization that's sort of challenging that assumption um, and is beginning to ask the question, what was in God's heart and mind as the architect and idea of family, the one who really originated this? Was that what he had in mind? And so what we believe is that he had in mind a definition like a multi-generational team on mission, that families were designed to work together as teams uh, across generations and on mission for the kingdom. And so that, that is a new idea for a lot of people. Uh, and so we are trying to just have a conversation um, with people about really looking at the scriptures, how, it's, how families defined there, and how different that definition is than what most people uh, assume is true in our culture. Wow. wow, that's amazing. Jeremy, thanks so much for being willing to dive deep into family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. I'm always excited about stories and hearing how some of that's working, how you're doing that practically, how you invite people into that. Um, tell me about some things that uh, and ways that you're doing that right now. Yeah. So uh, a, a big part of our family story has been trying to uh, launch initiatives that It'll give the opportunity for multi-generational family engagement. So, um, and so those are businesses, those are ministries, those are investments, those are projects, uh, those are missions. And as different family members begins to lean into any of those, any of those areas, we want to invite the other family members to join. It's not, we don't want to control the other family members. Um, we want to respect, you know, who God's made each of them. But we also believe that we are better together and that we are a family for a reason. And the family, the reason isn't just to retreat together, have fun together, have a little entertainment, um, you know, sort of relational uh, hub or uh, just sort of a, a nurturing nest uh, for, for the family. It's also for us to advance together and to actually take on really difficult things together. So it, that looks like a lot of things. I mean, everything from my wife started a quilting studio um, up the, at the top of our street with my oldest daughter, Kelsey, and with her mother. Um, I started a business where my dad, my father-in-law, my sister-in-law, we were all working together. Uh, we've got different, couple different ministry projects. And so across our five kids, our parents, our, our siblings, and, uh, and just the extended family, we have a lot of initiatives uh, where we just invite people in and say, hey guys, we're going to try to do this. And uh, who wants to come into this initiative with us? And, uh, and so that's, that's the way it's looked up to this point. That's awesome. Wow. So it, it, it's not only just, we're not talking just about a spiritual DNA or a family DNA. It's, it's kind of, it's practical. It's business. It's let's do ministry together. Let's figure out how to make money together. Yeah. Is this, do you see this working better for, um, I'd probably say men on this, but men who are, I kind of have their own business or have the freedom of that schedule or can do that, have that level of autonomy. 
Yeah, the, one of the problems, you know, the, with the uh, the industrial revolution is that it did sort of atomize the family. So, you know, you have the idea of economic any economic endeavor, we sort of begin with the assumption that we're all going to do that individually. And um, and sometimes that's a good idea. That's this is again, this is not sort of putting a blanket statement over uh, that you have to do this as a family, but but all of the gravity is that direction. And so the, so the question is like, what can you integrate your family into? And so that could affect career choices. That could it definitely did in my case. I mean, I I decided to begin to to steer slowly towards endeavors where it was at least an option for me to integrate family members into those things. And so certainly business ownership makes that really possible, but there are a lot of different kinds of businesses and different kinds of career paths that also allow for that. And if that doesn't, if you can't do that because that's just not realistic, then I think then, you know, there are lots of ministry opportunities, mission opportunities, serving opportunities that you can do as a family, even hobbies, like uh, the hobbies we, we pick oftentimes rip the family apart. So we had to take a step back and say, yeah, my son wanted to do football. My daughter wanted to do basketball. We invested in some of those things, but we also said, what is there? Are there any sports we can do together? And so we <laughs> all did Taekwondo for three years. We did tennis. Now we're doing pickleball. We're choosing things that, that make it possible for us to be together as a family. And I just don't think that we really value that level of integration, uh, even in the church. And we don't understand how, how destructive this is towards families. Because if, if every time you're engaging in like every time you're in church, everybody goes their own same age group, school, same age group, shopping, same age group, sports, same age group, you know, and the family just, what is the family at that point? Like we've already disintegrated it so deeply from work, but now we're disintegrating from everything else. And this is a hyper individualism kind of gone crazy. And I think we have to, again, take a step back and, and, and not just ask what's even my preference, because maybe I enjoy those individual things. But, but really the question I want to ask is like, what was in God's heart? Like, was this mm -hmm. God's like desire? Is this how yeah. he designed the family? So that, that's a deeper question, I think, to ask. Wow. So um, this is this is so perfect because it's re you're really, what you're talking about is building on some of these other things that we've been talking about throughout the week. So what I hear you saying, I think, and what I uh, see in the world is that everything is kind of designed to push people apart into these individual things. And the way you described it was same age group, same age group, same age group. Yeah. So there's this other theme that we're seeing of division. And, and that ties into another thing that we've been talking about, which is the disparity between the generations and the respect between them for each other. And I think this isn't a new thing. It seems like always the older generations and the younger generations kind of look at each other with kind of a strange, you know, look and, and they're, they're, they irritate and frustrate each other. So that's not new. But I, what I hear you saying is the way the culture is today, it's exacerbating that massive. It's making Absolutely. it far worse, far worse. Yes. Is that is that kind of what you're what you're getting at? Yeah, there, there really isn't that uh, clear value for that multi-generational interaction like that that's a huge component of this again if you ask like how what was in god's heart i mean there is so clear in the torah and then it's interesting in the new testament like an example is in first timothy 5 because a lot of people say well maybe this is an old testament idea maybe this is primitive that generation should be interacting uh, maybe we've sort of come up with a better way or there's something more about modern life that makes sense of why we're disintegrated and that's okay uh, but what's interesting is in the new testament you have probably the strongest command in the entire bible in this area, in 1 Timothy 5, when Paul's talking to Timothy, he, he really is saying, he says, look, if there's a widow in your family, then your first responsibility is to uh, show your godliness at home and care for her. Now, I've never heard that preached on. I'm sure some people have. 
but it is it is like one of the most practical commands in the entire New Testament. And so to have such a, for him to say your first responsibility, he actually says that because of course, what we assume is our first responsibility, if we're going to like list them, it's, it's going to be to spread the gospel. It's going to be external. And for him to say your first responsibility is to care for aging parents is, wow. is a huge issue. And you have to ask, why did he do that? And, and you know, what well, parents man. say in our culture almost always is, I don't want to be a burden to you. I'm so sorry. You have to care for me. And this is a complete misunderstanding of, of, of the way, again, the design which is that, that it, it is designed by God for you to spend those last years of your life integrated with your, with your multi-generational family, with your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And, and there are so many cultures, of course, that understand this yeah. and that protect this. But, mm-hmm. but we happen to be in probably the most hyper-individualistic culture that's ever existed. And so because of that, we, we see elderly uh, family members as irrelevant to our, to our current lives. And that, that, is, that demonstrates a total lack of understanding of the nature of family, not just, uh, n- not just a sociological problem, but this is a theological problem. Wow. Wow. So, um, yeah. So, and I've heard, I've heard that quite a bit where we say, Hey, um, we need to shift this culture of kind of discarding people as they get older. Um, and that is uh, prevalent and absolutely true, but I'd like to, I'd like to dig in a little bit to potentially the, the 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 opposite side of that so how do you deal with a situation where the older person the grandparent if you will doesn't want to invest in the younger generation when they have the time and resources and space to be investing down and maybe they're the younger people are receptive uh very or maybe they're just a little bit but the but they don't want to they're like i can't i don't have time for that I don't have time yeah. for these young people and their foolish cell phones. What you? <laughs> yes, I know. I'm so bugged <laughs> by these people. Yeah, totally. That's what you're saying. Yeah, that, that is a big problem because we have, by these technologies, really have separated the generations because we're living in almost different worlds. And so this can be challenging. So the way we've talked about this is that um, if, you're a, if you're a downstream generation wanting to unfold an upstream generation, first of all, you have to have a lot of grace for the fact that they have lived into and been told a story probably their entire lives. That, that what, what it looks like for retirement, you know, it means to be individual. It means to go off to somewhere else. It means to have your golden years. And so there might be a lot of resistance to this, this idea because it, it wasn't woven into their story. Um, so that, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that you, you really need to create, and I think the way that generations maintain and cultivate their connection is through honor. And so what we did and what we've coached many uh, families to do is if you really want to engage your parents, in, uh, in, in really the family, then you have to uh, craft a, a space for them. And the way that we've done this is we have a, a weekly family meal and we started that we've cultivated you know, in our family, mm-hmm. like a Sabbath dinner. And so we started to, after, as we really began to practice this just with, with our you know, nuclear family, uh, we would once a month begin to invite our parents and we would always give them a place of honor. We would train our children to listen to them and ask them good questions. We would give them the best seats in the house. We would make the dishes they really liked. And then we would prompt them with questions. You know, we would say, hey, so, you know, we're, we're, it's the fall time. Like, what was fall like when you were growing up? Or, you know, one of the things that we, uh, and this over time, when we started just prompting them with, uh, like, uh, on Veterans Day, my dad and my wife's dad was, were veterans. And so we would, you know, say, hey, this is a day every year. We're going to, you know, we want you guys to come and just share stories, pictures about what your life was like over time as they just got used to storytelling, feeling engaged, 
like it's crazy what awakens inside that older generation because this is what like they're they're lacking purpose and they don't really mm-hmm. understand what the purpose of that season of their life is which is to pass on that generational wisdom and so we don't we've we've distru- disrupted and really destroyed all of those bridges and so you have to do the hard work of building that bridge back and creating an opportunity for your parents to share those stories multi-generationally to talk about their parents like one other thing that, that started happening with all four of the grandparents, uh, our kids' grandparents, uh, my parents and my wife's parents, was that they um, they all really were, were feeling a lot around their parents' birthdays. All you know, of course, all, all their parents have have now passed, and so they we, we would say, hey, come and and, and like bring the, the like pictures and stories, and so they'll say, yeah, your your great grandfather would have been 104 years old today. Um, this is what he meant to us. This is what he meant to our family. Um, this is, this is how like God used him or her in, in the life of our family. And so those are just examples of, of things that have brought purpose and meaning and brought life to, to our parents. But it wasn't easy because they didn't grow up seeing this. They didn't grow up seeing their grand, like this has been so destroyed that we we're, we're basically restoring an ancient path. And when you do that, you have to have a lot of grace for, for all the sides of this, because, because this restoring ancient paths is, is always uh, a really difficult thing. Mm. Jeremy, that's and, so good, man. I'm loving it. Thank you so much. Uh, two things come to mind. Number one, I, I literally wrote it down. Call mom. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, this is so good. Uh, but c- some of the practical things, and I just want to mention that for those that are viewing, maybe you have parents or grandparents um, or children that don't live with you. You can't get at the dinner table with them. So Here's technology, right? There's Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, Marco Polo, um, back and forth interaction. Obviously, the best uh, place to be is, is in someone's presence. But if you can't do that, um, then you've got yeah. technology streams that will allow you uh, to do that. Jump on one of those platforms. And then I love what you said about asking them intentionally questions based on their interest, things yes. that make them come alive. I mean, that happens to anybody, anybody that you're intentional, he who asks the most questions wins, right? That's right. Yes. And so, um, how do you intentionally not just have, there's grandpa with the, you know, on his easy chair in the room re- with the remote in the corner while we're all over here. Um, but how do you get them engaged? So this is, this is awesome. Yeah. Well, one yeah. of the things too, Bobby, when you're saying, you know, technology, like, one of the things that we, so we, we were living totally isolated as a family uh, in this area of Northern Kentucky. N- none of our, our uh, family members were living here except for my wife's sister. And what happened was, you know, different extended family members would come into town once or twice a year for, you know, holidays. And we would just really, we have been practicing creating this culture of honor. And so they would come into that and they would come so alive that one by one, every single one of our family members uh, began to conspire how to sell their homes and move here because people, they were drawn. We called it, we eventually started calling it the extended family vortex. You know, it took about 10 years and we weren't really like asking anybody to move. We weren't, we weren't bringing up those conversations. Our, our real goal was if you're going to be with our family, we're going to really honor you as a part of the family. And so, but everyone's hungry for that. They don't realize how hungry they are to belong to a multi-generational family. It is yeah. so enlivening. And so, yeah, you could, yeah, my parents could have, you know, retired to Arizona or Florida, like all their friends did. But when it came time for them to make those decisions, they, they just enjoyed so much the culture of our, of our family that they just, they, they wanted to move here. Now they live with us. Um, and so th- th- that was not something again, that we engineered or tried to, to make happen. 
we just basically uh, started by creating these opportunities, this, this honoring culture, and then allowed those things sort of step by step. You know, and if, assuming it's healthy, there's a lot of people that are in toxic situations with extended family members. We understand that. Um, and uh, sometimes you do need to create some distance and that's all healthy. But man, there's so many people that, that where there is, you know, there, there's a good amount of, of value there that, that we just need to uh, elevate and, and celebrate and begin to unfold. And that, that we've seen that vortex occur for family after family, not just us, by just doing these basic things. That's awesome, Jeremy. I would love to know just kind of where the where the idea of honor came from as kind of a, the the driving factor for just how that how did that evolve? That that was kind of the one thing out of all the things that you could think about. Like, what was it about honor that seemed to really be the thing that that brought people in? Yeah, yeah. It's well in a family. Um, what's what's really special about honor is you don't earn it. You know, in a family, it's something that you 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 have. Uh, because of your identity, you know, you are the grandfather, you are the grandmother. And, you know, um, this is obviously the, in the 10 commandments. Um, and I think God, when he said, you know, to honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you on the earth, there's a lot of practicalness to that, right? He, mm-hmm. He's saying that, that if you create that bridge of honor, then you're going to have access to generational wisdom. And that I think is one of the reasons why it's going to go well for you on the earth. So just seeing mm-hmm. that, that was something that God desired for there to be, um, and that there's a blessing in that 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 exists for us, and and so th- I, I think that that that's the blueprint that's just laid out in Scripture. That's awesome. That's so good. It's so good. So, Jeremy, I, 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 you mentioned that there's some toxic situations, and so let's just set that aside. So, set the toxic situations aside. Um, my guess is that for most people, they're not really um, they're not really implementing anything you're talking about like <laughs> like for the most part people are not doing this today we can watch in culture so what you alluded to this a little bit but what is the starting point for someone where um where the like the generations don't they don't want it they don't know that they want it i think is the real thing they've That's kind right. of like written off each other how do you begin to bridge like what what are the steps you take to begin to bridge that back yeah, I'll give you kind of one one sort of uh, sort of theological re- way to do that, and one really practical way to do that. So, theologically, I'll say like I was that guy. I didn't care that much about family. I grew up in Seattle, where families go to die. I saw it just it looked like a wreckage zone. Uh, almost everyone I knew was divorced. Uh, everyone on our street, and I just I thought it looked like an experiment that just had gone terribly wrong. And I had I had almost no interest in it. I was kind of interested in marriage, but man, kids. <laughs> Being a dad, I know there's some people that look forward to that their whole life. I was on the other extreme of that. Mm. And I was really set up by the Lord. I got really plucked from Seattle in the midst of you know, <laughs> that incredible amount of disillusionment and dropped in Jerusalem for four and a half months. I was there just for a semester abroad. And I just kept running into these dads who were obsessed with their children. And I was like, what, what is their problem? Like, don't, don't they realize we didn't get the memo? Like, like children are a lot of work. They're annoying and family doesn't work. Like, but, but they were just pushing strollers and hanging out with their kids and having five, six, seven kids. And, I, and so instead of being just, you know, I kind of started getting over my kind of, kind of cultural superiority and started asking like, why are you guys so obsessed with, with family? And, and I kept getting a single word back as the answer, Abraham. And I was like, what? Like Abraham. And, and so I, I began to study Abraham and I had studied Abraham before as a, as a man of faith. 
Um, but I'd never studied Abraham as a father. And I was suddenly encountering men, fathers, who really saw family the same way Abraham saw family, which is a multi-generational team. And as I began to think about that and say, what would happen if I believed that that was true about family? Something just erupted inside of me. It was like it completely made sense of my masculinity. And I, I became obsessed with father. I went from like zero interest to like zero to 10 like that. Once I once I realized what was really what fatherhood really was, um, because I was trying to, to build teams everywhere else in my life. I was I was trying to do it at work. I was trying to do it in ministry. Um, I didn't realize that's that's what a family was. I, I thought a family was this, you know, a nest. And we even say that in our culture. I think it's it's a terrible analogy for men. Um, but it's like, you know, cause what man wants to, wants to nurture chickies in a nest and they know it's going to self-destruct in, you know, 15, 20 years and all the chickies are going to leave. I'm like, I just, it was, I could get why my wife might get into that. I, I just like, that didn't resonate with me, but if it's a multi-generational team and we're, we're a part of a family line and we're passing this on from generation to generation, and I'm a part of, you know, the life of my father, and my grandfather, I just was like, this totally makes sense to me. So that's theological. I think that you have to start there because a lot of people's basic ideas about family, they're just never going to be attracted to it, If particularly men, if they believe in this modern idea that the family's a nest and a springboard for individual success. Now, that really practical tool that you can bring online is the same one that Jewish families have been bringing online for thousands of years, and that is they have invested in a family meal. If you talk to a lot of Jewish families about um, about their philosophy of family, a lot of them, you know, haven't necessarily thought about this in a super sophisticated way, but but a huge percentage of them have multi-generational family teams. And the reason is, is that if you have, if you craft a epic family meal, not talking about the quick dinners that we, we, you know, oftentimes encourage families to have during the week, you know, when they need to catch up with each other, those are great and important, but I'm talking about a timeless meal where a father's a father, a mother's a mother, a daughter's a daughter, a son is a son, where we have time to really, we bless the children like that, that process where you're experiencing your family-ness in a deep, meaningful way. If you craft that kind of family meal that goes on generationally, so that when your kids are in their 20s and 30s, they're, they're wanting to come and be a part of that with their kids, you will not be able to stop a multi-generational family from forming. It's just going to naturally happen. Um, but because we've neglected that kind of an experience of family, um, it's very difficult to create. It's actually not hard to create a multi-generational family. Um, so that, that's a really mm -hmm. basic tool. So we've coached you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of families now, how to craft a weekly family meal where all of the, the, the each person is honored in that way um, and, and how, to, how to cultivate that and how to cultivate that across generations. And yeah, one by one, we're just watching these families begin to form multi-generational teams. And so it's not, it's not hard, um, but we just neglected it. And it's so clear in scripture that this was, was God's heart for family. Um, and again, it's like, it's very strange that the Christian world has gone completely along with the secular world when it comes to redefining the family there's been zero resistance from the christian world in fact you know major christian ministries that are that are designed to help uh families th th all of their tools assume that western idea of family it's a springboard for individual success so how do you be a little bit better dad how do you be a, bit, a little bit better mom and i'm just saying that we we're not addressing the, the root problem we don't even mm -hmm. know what family is hmm. wow. wow nailing it that's awesome so with this event that's coming up uh, gosh, this weekend, I'm assuming that uh, you're going to be sharing some of these secrets uh, for family members, for companies, for, I mean, this this applies across the board, whether you're Fortune 100 or whether you're mom and dad or grandparents. 
Um, and I love that you go practical and theological. I, I can tell you've got a biblical base. Everything goes back to God's model for family. Uh, gosh, just thanks for being strong on that. And then also, I'm hearing you mention um, that we're almost silent in regards to standing up for uh, family values, especially now. Uh, how yeah. important is that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, in terms of what, like, I'll be presenting. The, the, what's interesting is you you do need to uh, sort of face a, a fork in the road uh, when it comes to family about which one of these models you're going to adopt. And you know, ninety nine percent of people that are going to be listening to the talk, um, you know, uh, it, they're going to uh, be in that Western you know springboard for individual success idea of family. That's where almost all of us have started. I virtually. I mean, every once in a blue moon, I'll meet somebody who actually is a part of a multi-generational family team, but it's very rare today in, in our culture. And so you're starting there. And so I really want people to understand that you have to make a decision to change because there really isn't much of a middle ground. These two different kinds of family right. are very different, right. the, what they do, how they think, the values they have. And that's why I want to take a step back and say, okay, in Genesis one, and this isn't, you know, this isn't just a Jewish idea, Genesis one uh, describes very specifically what the family is because because we have the origin story of the family. I mean, God told that first family that to be to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and to rule. That is a that there is that is not a Western family. A Western family um, does not think that way. The, a Western family does not do things that are fruitful together. A Western family um, does not think about how to subdue and rule together. Th that requires, and the, the job they were given was a multi-generational project. The only way you could possibly accomplish the Genesis 1 mandate is through a multi-generational family team. And from that point forward, the entire story of the rest of the Hebrew scriptures is about one multi-generational family after another. That's why the genealogies, you know, when most Christians get to a chapter of a genealogy, their eyes glaze over. They're like, <laughs> what is this even doing in the Bible? You know, the Holy Spirit clearly didn't know how to edit, you know, this, this book. Um, and, you know, maybe instead of assuming that we know better than, than the Holy Spirit about what ought to be in the Bible, maybe there's something so incredibly valuable about being able to trace family lines that he decided to do the arduous work of preserving these genealogies in scripture. And so, uh, like, again, we have to let the scripture wow. form us and our ideas of family. And we've been imposing on the scriptures this Western idea of family, and it's clearly not working. It's not like we're running around seeing incredible families flourishing in our culture, like, as they adopt this hyper-individualism. It's just, just the opposite. We've never yeah. seen a culture that's more broken when it comes to family than this culture. And so yeah. why in the world are we holding, you know, holding so tight to these ideas that, that they don't work? Yeah. Jeremy, I'm curious. There's there's a study. I'm curious if you've um, read this or tied it in or, or if it's relevant at all, but there's this study that they did on heart disease. Um, why, they're trying to figure out why in America, there's so in the United States specifically, there's so, so much higher amounts of heart disease. Mm -hmm. um, and they found this city, a small town, I think it's in upstate New York, that is 90% Italian. Um, immigrant and functions um, at about 90% Italian, um, old school Italian lifestyle. So they, they did all the regular markers. They did cholesterol and weight and, you know, whatever. They did all the regular things and they're like off the charts. Like they're mm. overweight, they're high cholesterol, <laughs> like it's a nightmare. Yeah. And then the, the heart disease rates are one tenth literally wow. one-tenth of the wow. neighboring towns. Hmm. Um, and so then they looked at, well, maybe it's just the the genes. 
because they're all immigrants. So then they looked at Italian American families that were more uh, United States cultural, and they have identical heart disease rates to other Americans. So it's not a genetic thing. So they, they did this 15 year study. And what they found is that it was purely what they called the lifestyle. And the lifestyle they talked about was a lifestyle of multi-generational um, living. And what they focused mm -hmm. in on specifically in that study was the meal times were long and multi-generational. Yeah. So where we might spend, you know, 20 minutes eating a meal together, if it's together at all, this would be like two or three hours that they would yeah. spend. And they attributed that to that multi-generational spending meal time together over a long period of time as the only thing they could figure out that was the difference. Wow. Um, it was, it was related to stress, which then they tied to inflammation and then they tied that to the heart disease. So basically they're saying when you live in this multi-generational and you take time with each other and you kind of pour into the different generations, it creates a lower overall stress environment, yeah. which lowers inflammation and less heart mm. disease. So I, it just, I was just thinking about this the whole time you've been talking. Have you ever tied that in or what, what do you think about this? Is that related or? <laughs> totally. That's amazing. I haven't heard that, but you know, the, the basic principle you're describing is that when, when you are uh, functioning with, with the way the designer has designed something, then it, it lasts, like it goes well. And this is why we need the scriptures to tell us what was, what was the architects or designers heart that, so there's the basic you know, idea, and we even tell our kids this, if you, you know, if you take any object in this house and use it for a purpose that it wasn't designed for, it's going to break, you know? And so what you just described is what happens when you right. take a family and right. you use it for something it wasn't designed for, something breaks, there's not, it's not neutral. Uh, and so we, we, and this is what's so incredible as believers, we have in the scriptures divine revelation about the, about the intent and the, and the specific sort of blueprint or architecture of, of the things that we're, we're doing. And, and I just don't think we take scripture seriously enough. And so that, that's a beautiful example yeah. of what happens when, when you really yeah. decide to lean into that, that God-given design. Right. And that reminds me of that study that they did on everything from like IBM computer chips to like people to these different like cat heavy machines and rather than running them seven days a week, they ran them six days a week. And they actually found that even on heavy machinery and chips and computing and all this stuff, if you let whatever it was rest for a day, it always actually performed better <laughs> over time. It didn't even matter if it was just a person. It was like everything. It was just like a principle in the universe, you know? That's so right. it reminds me of that. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, Jeremy, I have a, a question to this. Just where do you see this? Like who has to get behind this in the family? Do you, do you, do you see this primarily coming? Does this have to be kind of a unified vision from like the man and the wife? Do you see typically men that are kind of getting in there doing this? Is it women? Is it both? Where do you see this kind of getting yeah. pushed forward? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, the, the way I would describe kind of how most people, when they first encounter this, um, so many mothers, their first reaction is like, they realize that they're fighting. They're, they're the only ones fighting for the team. You know, like, like there's something innate in so many mothers that say, that says, I, uh, I will not sacrifice my family on the altar of some other team. And so, and so they oftentimes will be fighting for that in, in a very kind of instinctual way. And so when we start talking about this, they, they don't realize that, um, 
their the, their husbands oftentimes who are really aggressively leading teams elsewhere um you know the, the, and a lot of them very successfully that they're that that their wife is like so excited about the potential that he's going to coach their team and that their children are sitting on the bench waiting for a coach to come and engage them um, and so it's been very very easy to get mothers excited and, and engaged in this um, and that, then for fathers for them, it really, it, the continuum that I've discovered over and over again, as I talk to fathers about this, it really comes down to how much they've invested in other teams. And so young fathers are just like, absolutely like love this. They're like, they're ready to go. They haven't, you know, mm-hmm. invested their life in, in building other teams. Um, there are, are older fathers who have very successfully um, been, been building uh, teams outside the home. And so when they, they have to really take a step back and think about this, like, is this real? Um, and what, what, and to them, it's, it feels like it could cost them something and, and it certainly could. Um, and so then they have, they have to really think about, okay, you know, do I want to, to make a, a, a shift at this stage of our family's life? And man, we're just rooting for these fathers because so many of them have incredible skills that they've, they've honed in the workplace mm-hmm. or in their ministries that if they just pointed, you know, a fraction of that at their children, um, and at their family team it would come alive like crazy. And we've seen this over and over again, but, but for them, it's a much more serious sort of decision. And for grandfathers, I love it when grandfathers get a hold of this and begin to consider what it would be like for them to begin to cultivate uh, these generational connections and to support those downstream generations. Um, and to see that as a, as a, just a part of the purpose of this stage in life. But that's kind of how I've seen it sort of break down. That's awesome. Different family members have looked at this. So Jeremy, it sounds like what we need to do first is stop rewarding people for the bad (laughs) behavior, right? Like the the workaholism and, you know, and, and the things where they are neglecting what you're talking about. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to to the generational, uh, the, the Genesis one mandate. Yeah. Um, you said that the Genesis one mandate requires a multi-generational family. Uh, can right. we just spend a couple minutes on that? Go back yes. over that, those four aspects of the Genesis one mandate and why that requires um, a multi-generational family. And gosh, I mean, that's how we got started that, like that's you right. said, that's the blueprint for why we were made as family. So let's, let's spend a couple minutes on that. Yeah. So in Genesis 1, you know, we're given the story of God creating, you know, doing all of creation. And we know that part of what he's doing there is he's creating a prototype of order in the Garden of Eden. And then he takes the man and, and, and his wife and gives them the responsibility to, to really spread uh, the presence of the Lord across the earth through, through extending the boundaries of this garden until the kingdom of God covers the entire world. Um, and so that, that's, that's, given, that, that's kind of their basic mandate. Now, if you or I ever were to be given that project how many of us would think you know oh you know what we need for that a family like nobody in our culture <laughs> would think that they say, that needs a business a government a nonprofit, a 501c3 a right. church right. the last thing we would think that it, you would want to tap for for a mission like that is a family and so that demonstrates how far we've come from thinking properly about the family so so when god saw that problem he's like okay this is going to take lots of years you know yeah, um, I want you to rule. I want you to extend that. You're going to have, have to have lots of kids uh, to do this. And so, what you see there is the family, of course, has to be multi generational because it's a it's a massive vision that we still haven't accomplished. Um, it it has to be a team because he's telling the man and his wife and their future children to to do it. He's giving it not to just the man, 
not to just the wife and not to some other entity. He's giving it to a family. So therefore, the family is a team. We know a family then must be a team. It's designed to work together. Every time a child is born to our family, it's because God is adding to our team. He's like, your team needs an artist. Your team you know, needs an organizer. Your team needs a visionary. And so that's, we need each of these children and, you know, our extended family and the in-laws, like these are so important. God is constructing an ideal team through which we can accomplish whatever missions he's given us. And then of course, when we say it's a multi-generational team on mission, God's giving them the mission. He's saying it's your responsibility as a family to go out there and extend my order and, and rule. And so that, that's the basic idea and, and you can't put that kind of a mandate on the modern Western family. If you put that on a typical family today who really thinks about themselves as a springboard for individual success, and they really function as sort of this place where, you know, we kind of just go to like maybe an entertainment center where we're just like, we're watching, you're crushing Netflix and, you know, catching up real quick before we all launch into our individual lives. <laughs> There's no way that group's going to be able to do this. They're, they're not designed to. It's going to immediately fracture. And so we've, we've desired to really, like Chris was saying in the beginning, We've tried a lot of things over the years of, of like trying to help families, you know, really uh, get involved in, in various initiatives. Um, but we discovered that until they make this foundational shift first and begin to heal all of the brokenness, because this definition has been so destructive that they can't really bear things like, you know, let's start a business through our family, let's start a ministry through our family. You know, let's actually take ground for the kingdom of God as a family and begin to rule and extend that those boundaries as a family that they, they have to first heal their family by understanding what a family is and that's why man, it's such a foundational thing you have to spend time and repent and believe the truth about the family because otherwise you you can't you can't thrust these kinds of responsibilities on a modern western family uh, so that's a big foundational initial shift you have to make wow wow jeremy this is is so good and so um so needed and i think it's it's another one of those things that when uh when i think a lot of people when they're listening to this they're literally going oh yeah that makes perfect sense why doesn't that exist at all it's it's so obvious which which really just highlights the need is just absolutely incredible so um uh, we're about out of time, but I think we should do two things. Uh, I really like um, being able to do this. Bobby, if you would be willing at the very end to just pray over Jeremy and the ministry that they've got going and the the event that's happening tomorrow, that would be awesome. But before we do that, Chris, if you could just lay for right. a minute a foundation um, for those people that haven't yet heard um, yeah. what's coming up for this event and, and this ah. event that Jeremy is going to be speaking at, I think that would be awesome. Awesome. That's great. I'm going to do that, Chris. Um, I'm happy to do that. Jeremy, would you mind just real quickly though? Can you just give me 30 to 45 seconds on how people can engage with family teams specifically? Like what programs, things, yeah. th- things do you offer for people that, that they could check out? Yeah. So we, we, we do uh, different live events. Um, and so we've got those that, that are going on there. We have different online courses uh, for people like the seven day family. Um, we also have a group specifically for entrepreneurs, fathers who are trying to figure out this question of integration between business, family, and faith. And we meet twice a year, me and Jeff uh, Bethke, um, and we mentor a lot of those dads. Um, and, and so th- those are some of the, the main things we have going on over family teams, but lots of content, podcasts, and things. So w- it's really important to understand that when you make this shift, you open the, the toolbox and it's often empty. All the tools we have in our culture are designed for the modern Western family. 
And so, and the tools to, that, that are designed, things like creating a family mission, creating a family meal, understanding how to live rhythmically, how to, how to get a day of rest as a family together. These are, these are the kind of tools that really powerfully create family teams. And so we do all that kind of equipping over at, over at the web, the family teams.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, dude. That's great. So um, the event starts tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. We're so excited for it. We did arts, entertainment and media about a month ago. If you guys have been following restore seven and what we've been doing with Eagle mountain, we are specifically trying to take on these areas of culture um, and really reframe how to think about some of these major things that are happening in government and economy and family and education, arts, entertainment, media, religion, just how can we think about these things differently? And so this is going to be an amazing event. Jeremy's going to be speaking. We're going to have Dr. Josh, Josh Axe, who is uh, one of the largest just um, holistic and health uh, facilitators in the world. He has amazing things to think about. Talk, he has amazing things he's going to be talking about related to just how to feed your family, how to think about health, how to think about just these more practical things. We've got Josh Rubin, who's from Ancient Nutrition. Um, we've got Danny Silk from Keep Your Love On. He's going to be amazing. Um, we've got Ryan Collins, who is from Bethel Tech. He's going to be talking about just different integrated um, software and other just outside education ideas, kind of trade school stuff related to tech. We've got some of the biggest homeschooling network um, facilitators talking, just other ways to think about alternative education, which we're really excited. And we have 15 to 20 other speakers as well. It's just going to be amazing. And so we would encourage you, regardless of what stage of life that you're at, to check this event out. It's going to be amazing. And we're super excited um, to just approach this, this, these major topics, both education and family, and try to reframe how we can think about them as a culture and what does it look like to be kingdom minded about these things. Yeah. So, come on, awesome. yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped, <laughs> Bobby. Any last, any last uh, um, final comments before before you pray for us? Yeah, Jeremy, thank you so much, man, for what you're doing. This yeah, I just feel the Lord on. I just feel like this is front lines. Yeah, We've been busy thinking other things were front lines and getting our NGOs all set. And <laughs> OMG, what, what, a, what a calculation here. So thanks. Thanks for stirring it up. Thanks for modeling it. And uh, yeah, it just makes me want to pray over this event and cover it and cover what we're all doing together. So let's do that. Lord, we just thank you so much for what your idea of front lines and that you started out with the Genesis 1 mandate of what front lines looks like. And Lord, we do repent for not having a multi-generational mindset. And we ask for the church, for Western church especially, Lord, that you would reset that, that you in this global reset, that that would be first. As, as Jeremy pointed out, the scripture was make this your priority. And so, Lord, how could we not, especially that being in your word? So, Lord, help us. For families that need healing and wholeness right now, we release that. For the ones who are saying, gosh, I don't even know my mom or my dad. Um, Lord, I just pray right now a, a gathering. You're the one that started this. This is on your heart. So do supernatural things as of this event, as of this podcast, to get us back into alignment because something's shifting in our hearts right now and we feel your priority on this. So Lord, we bless Jeremy. We bless um, family teams and all that his team and family is doing uh, to just impart to people these biblical mandates. And Lord, we pray 
for the Restore 7 team and all of us who are getting ready to launch this event this weekend and all of the Restore uh, 7 family that will be joining us and all of our networks that will be joining us from around the globe. We just pray a covering over you and your boldness to launch what family looks like from the Genesis 1 mandate. The blood of Jesus over this event, but more than that, over the revolution of family in this hour. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Wow, come on. That's awesome. Jeremy, Chris, Bobby, thank you guys. This has been another fantastic one. If you guys are listening to this, you need to register. Click the link in the description to register for this event. I just got to remind everybody, because we always get a lot of questions, you will get replay access, forever replay access to this. So if you miss a session or you have to miss the whole event because you've got something already scheduled, still register. It's absolute incredible value. Find the link in the description. Register for the event. If you're listening to this 10 years from now and you're like, man, I wish I could have been there. Register for the event anyway. Like, click on the link. I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. So do it anyway. So, all right, you guys, thank you so much. We will see you guys on the next one. Appreciate it. See you later. See you guys. Yeah.